Welcome on in. It is the JR Sport Brief Show with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. No JR, though. Ryan Hickey in for JR on this Tuesday. He will be back tomorrow. Happy Tuesday to you. Thank you for making us a part of your evening right here. Where else? The JR Sport Brief Show on CBS Sports Radio. We'll get back to your thoughts here in a second. But the big news of the day today is that Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson is going nowhere. Which means, for the first time ever, are you ready? These words will be able to be uttered on the radio. The Detroit Lions, going into 2024, are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. The word Lions and Super Bowl contenders have never been been able to have been said on the radio before in a in the same sentence and have it be factually accurate. You'd be called a moron. An idiot. A hot take artist. If you said the Detroit Lions are Super Bowl contenders going into any of the 58 previous seasons, there has been a Super Bowl. This is the first time. So I know it's not going to make the the pain completely go away. If you are a Lions fan still reeling uh, still reeling from Sunday night, but this has got to be the, the best news you could have possibly received. This has got to be the most uplifting, optimistic news you could have gotten to start to believe that 2024 could even be even better than 2023. Ben Johnson returning. Staying right now at the Lions, I think is the second biggest off sale or second biggest coaching move, we'll say. This offseason. I think the only thing that surpasses it is Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers. Otherwise, the Lions keeping Ben Johnson is the biggest W any team is going to have in terms of hiring a head coach, hiring an offense coordinator, or hiring a defensive coordinator. That's how important Ben Johnson is to this Lions offense. He's also very important because one thing now he provides for this upcoming season is continuity. That is something that's not talked about a lot when it comes to winning, when it comes to how good a team is. We don't talk a lot about continuity, especially when the head coach is returning. Ah, coordinator leaves, we'll be fine. Offense coordinator leaves, ah, we'll be okay as long as the players are there. Coaching continuity matters. It absolutely matters. And the fact that the Lions are going to have that with one of the best offensive minds in the game returning to one of the best offenses in the game that can't be understated like think about what the Lions now instead of having to learn a new offense learn new terminology learn just a new coach if they lost Ben Johnson now everything stays the same and instead of starting from ground zero you are now starting from where you picked up in 2023 right where this offense left off in Santa Clara two days ago. Because you don't have to learn new terminology. You can now pick up right where this offense left off. That is huge. That's a huge boost now for this team. Because even with the players returning, as we saw with the Eagles this past year, coaching does matter. And even though Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith and that offensive line 
then went to the Super Bowl in 2022, were there again in 2023 for the Eagles. The one really massive change they had on offense, especially, but throughout their entire team, was the loss of offense coordinator Shane Sykin and defense coordinator Jonathan Gannon. And both of their losses put both sides of the ball in, in turmoil, in disarray, despite the fact that most players on both sides of the ball that went to the Super Bowl for the Eagles last year were back this year. And that coaching change turned everything upside down. And that was also an internal coaching change when it comes to at least the offensive side of the ball. Brian Johnson last year was the quarterback's coach for the Eagles and then moved up to offense coordinator. So you hired internally, yet there was so much upheaval and distrust between the players and the coach that it all fell apart. So honestly, I don't think I would have called the Lions, even with all they achieved in 2023, Super Bowl contenders in 2024 if Ben Johnson was gone. Number one, he's one of the best offensive minds in the league. So there's no replacing him. There's no Ben Johnson 2.0 you're plugging in to this Lions team that would have gotten the most or gotten the same, if not more, production out of them in 2024 compared to what Ben got him, uh, got out of them in 2023. That's number one. Number two, you don't have to worry about new terminology. So you're not starting from the ground floor in terms of learning a new coach, learning a new offense, learning new term, uh, learning new terminology. You could pick up right where left off. So that helps kind of eliminate any sort of learning curve and help your offseason progress to where you are getting better faster. And like the Eagles just showed you in 2023, having the same players but a uh, different voice in your headset, a different offense coordinator calling the plays, makes a big difference. So even though Jared Goff and Amon Ross St. Brown and, and Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta are all back next year, having the voice, having the play caller change can drastically change your season, can wreck it like it did in Philly. So this news cannot be understated. Ben Johnson coming back is a massive W for the, for the Lions. And now for the first time going into a season, they can actually truthfully call themselves Super Bowl contenders in 2024. Something that in the preseason, they were never able to say at any other point of the Super Bowl's existence. No other year. This is the year. Congratulations to Lions fans that it wasn't just a, a blip on the radar. Getting Ben Johnson back is huge. And now this offense, who is fifth in points per game and third in yards per game, can continue to get better. Jared Goff, who had, you know, basically nearly a career high in every stat and who was, I thought, dynamite in the playoffs, can even now continue to grow and get better. Things are looking up for the Lions. Clearly, they're a young team with a promising future, but getting Ben Johnson back, keeping him away from the Commanders, keeping him away from the Seahawks, now truly officially makes you Super Bowl contenders. 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227. Gregory is calling from Michigan. Hello, Gregory. Our sizzle, it's the warrior, Mr. Positive. Oh, my God, I could hug you. You are spot on, my friend. Yes, 
We've got him back. Ben Johnson, you're right on all accounts. Oh, my God, I love it. I mean, you're right. Uh, he understands the system. He understands Danny, the Gamble Campbell, the warrior, second warrior. He's the Mr. Positive Jr. I got to tell you, you are spot on, my friend. And, uh, yes, they will be contenders. I'm a little bit worried about uh, Green Bay. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, you know, Jordan Love is playing at uh, a very high level, but they could be the only 1A, 1B, one, you know, 1B, 1A lines all the way. Uh, I like that rhyme there. Um, hey, and you got yeah. them, Gregory. I will say, um, maybe I have, my head's buried in the sand. I have not heard before you just mentioned it, Danny the Gamble Campbell. I've never heard someone call him the Gamble Campbell. It's oh, he's a gambler. Gambling we, Dan or something like that. Yeah. I, that. That rhymes. That's good. I like that. Thank you, my friend. And last but not least, everybody go for your dreams. And, yes, Taylor Swift, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey will beat San Francisco 49ers. Do you agree with me, my friend? I do not, Gregory. I oh. think the, the 49ers. <laughs> there, goes the okay. posit- there goes the positivity. Thank you for the call, Gregory. Um, there goes the positivity. I, I do think the Niners are going to beat – the, uh, the Chiefs, and get their first Super Bowl in the Shanahan and Purdy era. Um, but it's good to hear Gregory, big Lions fan who called the show I hosted on, on Sunday evening, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. right here on CBS Sports Radio, Eastern time, that is. So that was minutes after the Lions' loss to the 49ers. As you could imagine, uh, the positivity wasn't exactly there moments after the loss, but good to hear 48 hours later, Gregory is back, and Mr. Positivity is, is back to living up his nickname um, I think that's that's how a lot of Lions fans should feel. Again, not fully healed. I, if it was me, I'd still be upset and still be kind of living, reliving the loss and not getting over it. That would be a lost person that would stick with me for a while. But the the best possible news you could have gotten this offseason already happened. Ben Johnson coming back and keeping everything the same offensively in, in 2024 is the best possible news any Lions fan could have received after that heartbreaking end of the season there uh, on Sunday night. 855-212-4227. Also talked about, uh, just before we went to break uh, last hour, about holding referees accountable. Anthony Edwards last night with the Wolves teed off on the refs. Feel like He said, in his own words, cheating ass refs. Felt like that they were refing you know, for the Thunder, trying to get the Thunder to win. And he said it felt like they were playing eight on five on there with the referees being the other three guys uh, playing for the uh, for the Thunder. I'm not saying Edwards is right or wrong, but what I do think now moving forward should happen is we need to hold referees accountable by having them give post-game press conferences like we hear from coaches and players. Like Edwards is saying he's getting hacked, he's getting fouled, they're not calling fouls, why aren't they doing it? Mark Lindsay was the head referee in last night's Wolves-Thunder game. Well, he should be then going to the press conference to either defend himself and his crew of why calls were not made or explain the rationale and be like, you know what, maybe we messed up. Either way, an explanation is not going to make fans feel any better, but it brings clarity. And I think for all four major sports leagues, clarity when it comes to officiating is the best you possibly could do. Again, it's not a cure-all. It's not going to fix an incorrect call or a missed call. But at least getting inside the brain of the officials makes it easier to digest and accept 
instead of having them shielded off where you can't talk to them. You can't even look at them if you're the media. You can't talk badly about them if you're a player or a coach or you get fined. I think they should be on the same level as players or coaches where if they screw up, they answer it. If not, you know, I should say, you know, if they screw up, uh, the players and coaches answer it. And I think referees should be held to that same standard. I think it could also help promote a little bit more accountability where if refs are going to throw a flag or not throw a flag, you'll need more conviction of just like, okay, I'm throwing this flag or not, knowing after the game, I got to answer for it. In my own words, not a shield, not a spokesman, not the league. I got to answer for it. I think that makes or hopefully would make officiating a little bit better. 855-212-4227. Bob is calling from Grand Rapids. Hello, Bob. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I heard about that Ben Johnson news earlier today, and I was pretty excited about it because I'm never going to get over Sunday's loss. I don't think the officials were that great on either side of the ball and on Sunday's games, but I'm not going to talk about that. By the way, the Lions would have had home field if they if the, if the Dallas game would have been officiated right. So the, right. home, the championship game would have been in Detroit. Hey, I got something to say. You know, you just said that the Lions were never a Super Bowl contender in the Super Bowl year. I know. Look, I know the Lions have been terrible all my life. I've been watching them since 1970. I'm 62. And but let me tell you something real quick. In 1969, the Lions were nine four and one. In 1970, the Lions were ten and four, and they were the first wild card team. And if you go look at NFL Reference, I watched this game. The Lions were three point favorites at Dallas in the divisional round, and they ended up losing that stupid game five to nothing in a playoff game. Five to nothing, Bob? Where's the sickos committee? Yeah, well, by the way, during that game, I had broken my femur that year. I was in a body cast. I was in traction in the hospital, and I was in a body cast watching that game as a 10-year-old. They put you in a body cast for a broken leg? I mean, I guess it is 50, what, 53 years ago? Yeah, 1970, yeah. Traction? It was a bad, bad femur break. Traction for seven weeks, body cast for seven weeks, three weeks to walk again. It was crazy. Oh my and my goodness. leg's never been the same. But so, anyways, okay, maybe I have to okay. amend then. So the first time since 1970, is that better, Bob? The first time in well, 53 maybe. years. I mean, I don't know. Baltimore could have been favored for all I know, but Dallas beat us anyway. So, and then I think Baltimore won the Super Bowl. 16 to 13, if I remember right. But uh, anyway, yes, you're right. The Lions, Johnny, you. The, the referee in Dallas. I mean, come on, man. You're you're so spot on on the referees being need to be held accountable because again, that cost the Lions another home playoff game, and we've seen how good the Lions are at home this year. Well, let me ask you They're this, not- Bob, because you were directly impacted by that game specifically. It wouldn't, I'm sure, have made it better. But if you like, let's just say the head referee Brad Allen went to the post game, you know, press conference and had to answer questions from the media. Would that would that make it more acceptable? Would you be more willing to let go? Like, how would you feel if that happened sure, I, after the I game? I guess. I guess. But, you know, he, he did say to the media via through his sources that he's doubling down, that he stood by the call. I mean, didn't he say that? Yes. I mean, not, a pool not reporter, in front of the There's like two questions asked, and it was like a 30-second interview. Right. Uh, interview. I don't, so it's maybe. Like I don't know. Dude, down, I'm, still salty. I'm still salty about Sunday, man. I just well, – I hear you. You can't blow. You can't blow a seventeen-point lead. All the errors in that game. Hell, okay. Wait a second. Here's something on the officiating. Okay, so the the interception off the helmet. Correct. They threw a flag on that play. Remember? Yes. And then they picked it up. I guarantee you, if that's incomplete or not, it's pass interference on the Lions. They're not picking it up. And if you watch earlier in the game when Sutton almost had an interception, 
he was interfered with trying to catch that ball. That's in the first quarter. I would agree. I know what play you're talking about. I do remember thinking that, and it's funny, and I appreciate the call, Bob. Greg Olson actually pointed out what a great defensive play by Brandon Ike. I remember 100% thinking that should have been offensive pass interference. He shoved him right in the chest like a second before the ball came. So I would agree. I'm not going to – I don't think the flag was picked up because IU caught it. I don't think they would have magically given a penalty if the ball fell off the face mask incomplete. I don't think the referees had an uh, in uh, or a fix was in for the 49ers. But I think, it, again, just at least hearing some explanation, it's not going to make you feel better. But I think it at least, you know what it does? Here's what it does for the NFL. I think it at least eliminates a little bit of controversy and makes it less of a talking point. It's going to be a talking point, right? If the Cowboys-Lions missed reporting call, um, happens, but Brad Allen is able to answer questions after the game. But there's only so much you can do when he says, you know what, I screwed up. If he comes out and says after the game, I messed up. I was confused. I assumed. It's You're still frustrated. It's still a talking point. It can happen. But I don't think it's... I don't think we talk about it as long as we do if we get answers. It's not going to change the outcome. It's not going to make fans feel any better or, or make them forgive the referee for missing the call. But I think in a way it does at least open up to, number one, see how hard the referee's job, which I do think in this day and age it's impossible to do. With the speed of the game and also with replays, it's impossible to do the job they're being asked to do. That's number one. But number two, I hope at least holds referees more accountable to if you're going to make that call in the moment, good or bad, you at least are able to stand by it. That's really what I'm asking for. You make a call, be able to stand by it because you're not going to have someone else talk for you or someone else bail you out and protect you for making a call that you, I think I saw what I saw. I'm not 100% sure. 855 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227. We'll get your thoughts and also when we return here. So the commanders, right, were on their way to interview Ben Johnson a second time when he called him and said, I'm good. I'm not taking the job. The name I threw out about three hours ago on the show was Texans OC Bobby Slowick. That is who the um, I thought at least the, uh, the commanders should target. Well, comes out. He signed a new deal with the Texans. He's not going anywhere. So 0 for 2, the commanders are in terms of trying to uh, hire young offense coordinators. Try number 3, who should the commanders hire as their next head coach? At this point, there's only one option. I'll tell you who that is when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey in for JR right here on CBS Sports Radio. It's Hick at Night with Ryan Hickey. It's Ryan Hickey in for JR, still as Chris just said, locked and loaded. Speaking of which, we have just seen another upset in college basketball. Marco will give you all the details here very shortly in a sports update. But Georgia Tech has taken down the number three team in the country, North Carolina, 74 to 73. And a few things here. Number one, I am of the the mindset where late in the game, don't call timeouts. So, North Carolina was up by one, 73-72. Georgia Tech drove, got a little floater off uh, off the glass and in. They went up by one, 7.7 seconds left. And I'm North Carolina. I'm running it. I think too many times, especially in college basketball, when you're on defense, I think you assume a timeout's coming. So not that you're not running back or you're locked in on defense, but I think you're almost like, okay, I know the timeout's coming. Let's just see when it comes here. 
if you just run it, 7.7 is enough time to get a shot off. You're only down by one, so you don't need a three. I think more times than not, just running the offense gives you a better look than calling a timeout and trying to set up a play because you also allow the defense to get set and get whoever they want on the court out there in order to try to slow you down. R.J. Davis is the best player on UNC and one of the best players in college basketball, got the final shot, kind of drove a little bit of a step back. May have been some contact, um, but no call and shot didn't come close to going in. So the North Carolina, I don't think I mentioned, by the way, did call a timeout, 7.7 seconds left, ran to half court, then called timeout. I would have let the offense go, and I think you get better looks um, just playing versus trying to set something up by calling timeout. That's number one. Number two is I think we are, I think, I, I got to see if I can confirm this because it was also like one of those, I couldn't tell if no one ran on the court because there was question of if there was a foul called or not or they just had to wait. But the game was at Georgia Tech. So now when you beat the number three team in the country, there was a, a court storming. But it was interesting because the court storming happened after the players ran off the court. And now there's that incident a few weeks ago with Caitlin Clark where, Ohio State upsetted, uh, upsetted Iowa, and as Kaylin Clark and her teammates are walking off the court, fan inadvertently ran into her and knocked her down. Um, and I could not tell. I got to see if maybe we can get some reporting on this between now and uh, end of the show. It looked to me like the students were told, do not rush the floor until UNC is gone. And so there's a little bit of a handshake line. A lot of North Carolina is kind of left as soon as the final buzzer ended. But then as soon as they're in the locker room, boom. Floodgates opened, and a sea of students all wearing white supporting Georgia Tech ran to the center of the court. I don't hate that. If that's what the new court swimming looks like in college basketball, where you wait 30 seconds for the other team to get off the court, and then you can then go have a party and go storm the court and start the celebration for the rest of the night, I think that's the way to do it. Because it is, if you really think about it, it's kind of a miracle at this point that there's not been any incidents. Like, think about it. You have 18 to 22-year-old college kids juiced up after their team just beat a ranked team or a ranked rival. You think you're invincible. But not every kid is out there just, oh, let's just go crazy and celebrate, especially if it's a hated rivalry. It's not crazy to think one kid could take a swipe at, you know, another player. And we thankfully have not had that. Really, the Caitlin Clark inadvertent knockdown by another fan was the closest we've gotten to like any sort of real incident between fans running on the field or the court and like the opposing players trying to leave. But I hate, I don't want to be like, you know, some fear monger or someone like that, but it is, am I wrong here, Chris? Like, is it, are you shocked that at this point we've not had some sort of malice in the palace 2.0 when it comes to like kids running on the field or storming the court? I honestly am stunned that nothing has happened yet because how many times have we seen these idiot college kids bump into players and, you know, say stuff? And I give credit to those opposing players walking off the court, keeping their composure. I really do. I mean, how many NBA games do we watch where adults are, like, saying things that are abhorrent towards, like, Russell Westbrook and, Even like, players? Matt Ashiba, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Remember the Nikola Jokic uh, right. debacle? Oh, I'm looking right at you, Mr. Ashiba. So it's like NBA fans that are right there can't keep themselves, like, you know, from mixing it up. And yet here's 18 to 22-year-old college kids, I'm sure some were most drunk, running on the court with nothing stopping you between you and your, you know, 
uh, a team you just beat or a hated rival, I'm glad. I'm not rooting for it, but I'm glad that right now we've not seen an incident. But I do wonder if that's now the wave of the future um, or if this is just a one-off because, again, there was a little bit of confusion, um, at least watching. I didn't have the sound on, so I couldn't really hear it. But it looks at least looked to me like the fans were like, is there a foul here? So, like, there's a little bit of hesitation of, did we win or is this going to go to review? So I don't know if that was the reason why there's a delayed court storming or if it was like a new policy implemented after um, Kalen Clark got knocked down. But whatever it was, it was a delayed court storming. And as soon as UNC cleared the court, that's when all of a sudden the students rushed on and started their celebration. One last thing here I want to make about that game specifically, UNC number three team in the country going down to Georgia Tech is there is, there is no dominant team, I think, in college sports in general anymore. We're seeing in college basketball this year, there is parity that reigns supreme big time here. But now you saw it in college football where this year it was the most wide open college football college football has been in a long time. And now you're starting to see with NIL and transfer portal as well, um, how much parity is creeping into these major sports where now the, the gap between the haves and the have-nots has, has never been closer. Now it's truly on a given night, whether it's football or, or basketball, you are seeing some of the worst teams in the league, at least bare minimum, give some of the best teams in the conference or the country, giving them a run for their money. And a lot of times now, like we're seeing with Georgia Tech, who came into this game 9-11, and 11, upset the number three team in the country. There's been, again, a lot of negativity towards NIL, a lot of hand-wringing and complaining about the transfer portal. You are seeing the results right in front of you in both college football and college basketball. It is the best thing to ever happen to college sports, period. Period. NIL and the transfer portal and soon to be in football, the the expanded playoff, is going to make these games more exciting and less predictable than ever. College football, there was never a lot of parity. You always knew who the best teams were going to be. And especially in a four-team format, you always knew and had a good idea of which teams are going to make it at the end of the year. Now that unpredictability is back. And in college basketball, it is really back. Good luck with your brackets. March Madness is going to be an absolute mess. Because no team has really separated themselves whatsoever. But that's, for me, like that's how I like my sports. I don't want to know who's going to win. I don't like dynasties and blowouts. I love close, exciting games. That's when the NFL has been for a large part and why it's so popular. But now you're seeing college football and especially college basketball in recent years epitomize that. In large part, NIL, transfer portal. So if you are against it, I really hope now seeing these results, seeing these upsets, seeing these close, exciting games. Last night I was watching Houston escape in overtime uh, against Texas. Number four team in the country. Have to squeak by on the road against an unranked Texas team. Games are closer. They're more exciting and more upsets are happening because the gap now between the best and the worst has never been closer in college sports. That is a good thing. Makes more fan bases and teams into it. Going to make interest even higher. That is, I think to me, the best thing um, The best thing right now college sports is going for. 855-212-4227. Really quickly here, Marco Belletti is in. Hello, Marco. What's up, bro? Did you see the end of the, not to put you on the spot here. No, I did not. Maybe we can pick up this conversation again at some point soon here. Um, But when you get a chance, I'm curious if you can watch the end of the game. It looked like to me, 
it was a delayed court storming where they said, hey, wait for UNC to leave the court before you can rush on to rush on and, you know, jump around midcourt and celebrate. If that's the case and that's the new wave of the future, I think it's the right thing. I got no problem with that. And to be honest, let's hope that it that's the wave of the future and not to the point where they don't allow you to storm well, yes, the court anymore. Yes, I agree. Because I do think that that's fun and I do think that's something that it's, you know, it's it's harmless as long as you do it properly. And unfortunately, you know as well as I, that we do have a tendency to take a good thing and go too far. And hopefully, whether it's the Caitlin Clark issue or just in general, hopefully no one's going to get hurt to the point where we're not allowed to do this anymore. Because, I mean, they used to do this a long time ago, like in baseball, and then it got to be too much of a zoo. It got to be too much, and it got to be too dangerous. And they stopped it. Hopefully... We can still have the fun that comes with storming the court in college, and this is not the wave of putting this to bed. I agree. I was just telling Chris before he walked in here, I am shocked that we've not had it. Like, the only incident we've had with fans and players on the court is the Caitlin Clark, which to me looked inadvertent, so it was more of an accident. Like, right. if you think about it, college kids, not the best decision makers, clearly, whatsoever, right, right. probably drunk. Oh, yeah. And either you just upset a big team or you upset your rival and you're running on the court. Mm -hmm. How we have not had a malice at the palace, yeah. basically 2.0 to this point with how many court stormings we've seen mm -hmm. is truly a miracle. No, it is. And, and again, like you go back, I mean, you know, I see the Celtics on one of the TVs, like you go back into the eighties, they were storming the court for the NBA finals. I remember there was an really? inbounds with the Celtics that they couldn't even get the ball inbounds where they were just like, you know what? They called it because there were so many people on the court that they just, it was enough. That's not that long ago. And they put it uh, to stop to that, which I actually liked on the professional level because it got to the point where players had to run for their safety to get in the locker room. They couldn't even celebrate the championship they just won. It was ridiculous. I mean, baseball, you see all the videos with, like, Reggie Jackson running through people with the Yankees winning in the late 70s. Like, it got to be just insane. Now, this is different. This is harmless. This is college. This is fun. This is, you know, like I said, rivalry or a big upset. It's not for the championship game. It's not for a title. Those kids get a chance to celebrate on the court. This is different. So this is fun. This is supposed to be where the college experience is. But if you're going to be a jackass, then you're not going to be allowed to do it. So hopefully this is something where they can kind of tweak it a little bit, make sure everybody's okay, but still be able to have the fun that goes along with it. I couldn't tell because I had the sound off, so I couldn't, like, I wasn't sure if, like, because it kind of looked like there was some apprehension of, is there a whistle, like, because there was a close play, like, foul, no foul, like, oh, is it going to be a, a yeah. you know, are we going to go to the monitor here to review, put time on? I hope that, like I said, it, it was more like, hey, give them 30 seconds, run off, because I'm with you. Like, I, I think it's awesome, and I'm afraid that, like, I don't want it ruined, and I think one incident, like I said, all it takes is one oh, jackass. Yeah, no, it'll... One guy swinging at someone else yep. is going to, like you said, ruin the fun for everybody. 30 seconds is not taking away your exuberance. If you say, hey, look, get him through the handshake line, get him to the tunnel, right. and then the, the home team stays on the court, whatever you celebrate, that 30 seconds of just getting the visiting team off the court is not draining any life or any fun out of the environment. It's only going to honestly help guarantee it's going to keep going in the future. Agree, and I do have to see it because I didn't, but I will say this because I was looking at the scoreboard. Um, the scoreboard that I was looking at had North Carolina winning. It went final with North Carolina winning by a point, and then it refreshed not long after that. Is that so a I do unnamed four-letter network uh, that you were Yes, on? it was. Because so it's possible. their website was terrible. It is The game was not, it was not like one of those... 
USC was it ever in question? Because like I said, I didn't see the, the last The only question bucket. was foul or no foul. Georgia Tech scored 7.7 seconds left to take the lead by one. Then on the other end, after a UNC timeout, they got the shot off. There was okay. a little bit of foul or no foul, but okay. it wasn't like tipping at the buzzer. Did the shot get off? Like, okay, okay. That see, again, was I didn't it, get but... a chance to see it live. I was kind of taking care of a couple of different things, but I was keeping an eye on the scoreboard because I knew it was tight and it was possibility. Now, yeah. the original score had North Carolina winning, and then it flipped. So I thought maybe there was some discrepancy on a last-second shot. Obviously, that's not the case. It was just a poor job of the website. Poor job uh, of the website, to, to say the least. They're screwing you there. So hopefully that is the wave of the future. Court storming now in a smarter way, but a great scene nonetheless. Number three, UNC goes down to previously 9-11, and 11, now 10-11, Georgia Tech. It's truly just a minefield every single night in college basketball. That does not seem to be changing anytime soon. All right, 855-212-4227. I promised it, and we'll deliver when we do return here. The Commanders swung a miss on Ben Johnson, swung a miss on Bobby Sloak. Who should the Commanders hire as their next head coach? There's only one guy for the job, and also take your thoughts on referees holding them accountable. It's Hick at Night with Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey in for JR on CBS Sports Radio. The Dolphins make Hootie cry. Right now, the Commanders are making a lot of their fans cry. Ben Johnson not coming to Washington. Bobby Slowick, offense coordinator for the Texans, not coming to Washington. Swinging and missing on a lot of head coach options for the commanders. There's one man left. It's very obvious. It's very simple. The only man left that should uh, that the commander should hire is Mike Vrabel. He's the best candidate out there at the moment. I thought with having the number two overall pick going down the offensive coordinator route, with Ben Johnson and Bobby Sloak was the right move to try to develop a quarterback. Well, those two are out. There's not another offensive mind that I would feel over the top about hiring. And so if you're not going to go offensive mind here for your next head coach, no disrespect to Aaron Glenn, no disrespect to Mike McDaniel, Mike McDonald, damn it. Josh McDaniels, Mike McDaniel, Mike McDonald, that is, I mean, holy cow, tongue twister. Mike McDonald, the defense coordinator for the Ravens, no disrespect to them. They can't hold a candle, I think, to what Mike Vrabel has accomplished and can and can bring to the commanders. Hire Mike Vrabel, get it over with. Move on. That, to me, is simple, easy. That's who I would hire right now if I'm Washington. Bring Mike Vrabel to town. Speaking of that coaching search, 855-212-4227. Brian, it's calling from Maryland. What's up, Brian? Hey, Ryan. I really appreciate you taking my call. I um, I love I like hearing you and your opinions, even when you're producing, and I like it when you're doing your own thing. Oh, thanks, Brian. Um, the, 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 the question I had, you just kind of answered it. You jumped on it. Vrabel, I think, would be great. But what whatever happened to the enemy? He he was like touted as all this and that for the past two or three years. He's sitting right there, but nobody's giving him a shot. Does that say he's lost his luster or whatever? Because obviously Kansas City's doing it without him. Um, I wonder what happened with that. I think it speaks volume not to what the Chiefs are doing, Brian, but I think to what the commanders are not doing. 
and interviewing him and you know intensely and having him be at least from from what I have seen appreciate the call Brian having him be like a real candidate like you had him in your building to me it felt like they brought him in because they were preparing to fire Ron Rivera in in season if it didn't work out I would have done it. I would have fired Ron Rivera after the Thanksgiving game we got blown out in Dallas just from the sheer perspective of trying to see what uh, Eric Bieniemy is as a head coach and give him, I think there's like six or seven games up to that point, give him a, a little bit of a sample size to see what he's got. Just give him a chance, a little taste, see if he can handle it. We saw Antonio Pierce, that worked out great, and he got a head coaching job. But I think the fact that right now the commanders had him, that is Bieniemy, in their building all year long and are not, again, at least to my knowledge, seriously considering him, Tells you all you need to know about Bannemi's candidacy as a head coach for them and also throughout the league. All right, we also talked about in this hour a lot of officiating issues. There's been a lot of frustration with officials. I think for me, one thing that sports leagues should change is make officials available to the media. Have them do post-game press conferences to explain the calls they did make and did not make to at least hear their rationale. It's not going to fix the problem. It's not going to make the bad call go away. But at least hearing what the referee was thinking could make it a little bit more digestible. And also, too, I think it holds referees more accountable to that if you're going to throw a flag or not, you better be damn sure you can explain why you did or did not throw a flag there or or make a call if you have to answer for what you did after the game just like a player and a coach does after they have a bad game. Eric's call from California. What up, Eric? Hey, how are you doing? Good, man. What's on your mind? Well, as far as the officiating, I have gone through professional sports. I have uh, checked out professional sports. I have done college sports, especially college baseball. When it comes down to the umps, when it comes down to the refs, it's real simple. Watch your language. Whatever call it is that you make, watch your mouth. I mean, I have um, dealt with college baseball for the longest time. I've done college football for the longest time. I've also done high school for the longest time. Uh, Checking that out as a person who's visually impaired. I also have a blind shell phone so I can listen to my my teams on my phone. And so if they... Eric, we're not talking like... I would agree, show respect to the officials, not saying disrespect them. We're talking about a call is made that impacts the game, good or bad, right or wrong. I think they should be forced to answer questions and explain what they saw and why they made this call after the game. We're not talking about, you know, lack of respect here. Well, you know, I understand what it is that you're saying, but at the same time, a lot of these officials they're never ever going to be made to the media and they're never ever going to go ahead and talk to your right. newspaper. And, and that, but that's what I'm saying. And Eric, appreciate the call. That's my problem. They should be. They sh- just like coaches have post game press conferences. I think referees should have the same. I want to hear the rationale of why you made this call or didn't. I think again, that could kind of help at least fans understand where the ref was coming from. John's calling from Toronto. Hello, John. Oh, hi, thanks for taking the call there, and I have to agree with you. I was telling the guy answered the phone earlier. Chris. Back in the 60s, 70s, I'm like from Toronto, and the newspaper would have the guy's name in the paper, the official. When they screwed up, they'd actually say, okay, well, the game was 
one on this call because the referee did this or didn't do that, you know. And I've watched, you know, sports for 60 years now, and I've just seen a downgrade of uh, officiating, and I don't understand it. Well, that's you're right about that. The official – well, I think part of it is – I appreciate the call, John. I think part of it is technology. I can't speak, right, to when your generation, let's say, I was, you know, I'm 30 years old, basically, so I can only speak to what I've seen, and I've been alive mostly now as the technology boom has really hit sports. And I think part of it is now we have more access to replays. Now, all of a sudden, if a call is missed and you watch on TV, there's no replay to, to see if they got it right or wrong, or there's no TV in general. So a call was made or missed, and you move on to the next play because there's no way to evaluate if it was right or wrong. Now we see 10 different angles, uh, 10 different angles in a matter of seconds after the play's over, and we can instantly say right or wrong. Hear the music. That'll do it for this edition of the JR Sport Brief. Ryan Hickey in for JR. JR, we'll be back tomorrow. A big thank you to Chris Hess doing a great job producing. A big thank you to you for joining us here on this Tuesday. If you missed any part of the show, Hick at Night podcast, or check out the YouTube page, Ryan Hickey. Don't go anywhere. Bar Winkler is up next. Have a great rest of your evening. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here. CBS Sports Radio.